Jesus bore our sin in order that we might become perfectly righteous in Him. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. As I said a little earlier this morning, uh, I know that this has been a tough week for our church family, hasn't it? As we had two funerals, uh, we've had some sickness in our family, and we've also had some heavy-duty items of concern for prayer. But what I want you to know is that hope is on the horizon. Hope is on the horizon. And Christmas is a celebration of that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. As he came into the world, he came in order to bring us hope, to bring us forgiveness and new life in his name. You may recall is that uh, sad day a couple of weeks ago uh, in saying goodbye to Cindy, our beloved sister Cindy, walking out the, the house there in the porch right next to the front door there. She had a sign there that said, Hope is on the horizon. And I thought, how appropriate is that, right? Hope is on the horizon. And so our series here in Christmas this year is focusing on that hope, that hope that Christ brought us and what that means. And just a reminder then too for biblical hope, that biblical hope is different than how we normally use that word hope in our everyday language. Biblical hope is not a wish or a desire that may or may not come true. Biblical hope is a sure and certain promise. It will come true. It will happen because it is based on the power and the character of God. So it is a sure and certain thing. And what is our hope? What do we look forward to? Well, parts of us, we already have all of these things now by faith in Christ. But we're not experiencing all of them right now, are we? These things await us yet. One is eternal life. We looked at that last week. Eternal life is something that you have right now, but you are not yet experiencing it in its fullness the way you will. You also have perfect righteousness in Christ, absolute moral perfection in Christ. Now, when I look at my life, I don't see absolute moral perfection. None of us do, do we? But that is a gift that's been given to us, and we experience it in part right now as we walk with Christ, as we grow in him, as we grow to become more and more like him. But in his presence, we will be made perfect in him as a gift. The resurrection of the body, heavenly reward, the new earth, all of these things are part of our hope in Christ. So for today then, we're focusing on perfect righteousness, what that means, where it comes from, and what that means then for you and me. Our scripture passage is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, and this is the central theme or thought of our message here today that I want us to take away from this. Jesus bore our sin in order that we might become perfectly righteous in him. Jesus bore our sin. He took upon himself our debt load, our moral debt load. 
took the judgment for our sin in order that we then might become perfect in him, perfectly righteous in him, a gift then by his grace. So that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Before we look at our text, though, a little context. Uh, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is speaking of how we have been made ministers of the new covenant. As we observed communion a, little, a few moments ago, remember Jesus said, this cup is, the, is, is my blood, it is the new covenant. It is the new covenant. It was the promise that God had made that he was going to make a new arrangement with human beings, a new covenant, a new arrangement in his blood through forgiveness. And so we are now ministers of that new covenant, proclaiming that new arrangement God has with sinful people through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because of this hope that we have in Christ then, Paul says, we do not lose heart. We have this gospel, this good news. It's a great treasure that we contain in these mortal bodies, which are like fragile jars of clay. Our mortal, frail bodies are like fragile jars of clay that contain this great treasure of the gospel. And in light of that, I love what he says. Turn back for just a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, then. Turn back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. So speaking of this great hope that we have in the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Are there plenty of things that could cause us to lose heart in this world, in this life? Absolutely. You know, I think of that for myself as I look out on all of you, and I can think of, for, for each one of you, I can think of something that might cause you to be losing heart here today. But we do not need to lose heart. Why? Because we have the treasure of the gospel. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Who can relate to that? Your outer self is wasting away, right? I think probably most of us here, if, if, if you're, actually, when is it? Is it about age 25 was when I first started noticing that wasting away thing that happens, right? Oh boy, what we wouldn't give to be 25 again, some of us here now. Although actually, I don't think I would want to be 25, but I wouldn't mind feeling the way I felt when I was 25, right? So our outer self is wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. How? By the hope of the gospel. He says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You know, we know that God requires faith of us, that God says without faith it is impossible to please him, isn't it? And faith is trust or reliance. And so there are things that we need to trust God for, to rely on God for. We need to trust him for salvation, for forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life. But there are other things that he calls us to trust him to rely on him, to believe him. 
And here is one of those things that we then are to believe by faith. Now, just a clarification, too, this morning in our men's group, we were talking about faith and that definition of faith in Hebrews 11, what it is, that we're making it clear, when we talk about faith, we're not talking about a blind leap into darkness with no evidence whatsoever for believing that. That isn't faith. That's foolishness. Faith, there is evidence for it. There's evidence for it that we have in, God, in God's word, in the person of Jesus Christ, and the evidence of the created order around us, and how he has revealed himself in his word and through his son, through the experiences that we have had in our lives and walking with him, that God, how God proves himself to us over and over again, that he calls us then to continue walking in that conviction and assurance. Basically, it's not a blind leap. But nevertheless, we don't know everything now that we will know then, do we? Until then, we need to believe, to have faith. And here is one of the things that we must take by faith. It's, I think it's one of the most glorious verses in all of Scripture. In some way, I think it's one of the most mysterious verses in all of Scripture. But oh, how wondrous and glorious it is. And that's 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, where it says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. To paraphrase that, these troubles, these problems that we have in this life right now, these things are very, they're momentary and they're light. But somehow, in and through it, God is using that to do something grand and glorious, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That somehow, the troubles and trials and afflictions that we go through is preparing us for something wondrous and glorious. That's faith. He calls us to have faith to believe that. And it takes faith. How about that where he says, for this light momentary affliction, how many of you feel like some of the things that you've been through or maybe you're going through, they don't feel very light, do they? And it doesn't feel very momentary. But it is light compared to the glory that awaits us. And it certainly is momentary compared to the eternity that that awaits us. So this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, the things around us, but to the things that are unseen, God, his promises. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are what? Eternal. Eternal. He goes on then to speak then in chapter 5 of one part of this glorious future that awaits us, this eternal weight of glory. One part of that that awaits us is the resurrection body. We'll have more to say on that next week. 
But he says, therefore, you know, in light of all of these things, then we make it our aim to please God. Because we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Not to be judged for our sins. Those have been judged in Christ. But what? To be, for our lives to be evaluated for the purpose of reward. So in light of that, then, we make it our aim to please God. And it is the love of Christ, then, that controls us or compels us, then. He then goes on to speak, then, some more of this, of who we are in Christ. Let's look, then, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And here's our key verse, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a wonderful and powerful statement that is of the gospel right there. For our sake he made him, Christ, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. What an incredible thing, isn't it? You know, we talk about um, some of the tools that God has given us to help us to grow in our faith. And without a doubt, I think the most critical tool that he has given us to help us grow in our faith is his word, the word of God. And that means hearing the word of God like we are now. It means reading the word of God. It means studying the Word of God. It means memorizing the Word of God. It means meditating on the Word of God. And when we meditate biblically, we're not emptying our minds, we're filling our minds with God's truth. And one of the ways that we can do that is just to take a single verse like that. What a a great one right there, verse 21. And just chew that over in our minds. Think about that and what that means. For our sake, your sake, and mine. He, that is the Father, he made him, the Son, Christ, to be sin. That is, he took the weight. God the Father put the weight of our sin and guilt on Christ. Who knew no sin. Christ never sinned, did he? Why did he do that? So that in him, in Christ, 
we might become the righteousness of God. That we might become perfect in Him. Just as He is perfect. What an incredible thing to meditate on. And I want to speak about believers in Jesus. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a believer, biblical faith, biblical belief is not just a conviction in your head, an intellectual assent, but it is a whole person trust in trusting yourself to Christ. Not just believing facts about him, but entrusting yourself to him. Believing in who he is and what he did for us. Biblical belief is that trust and confidence in who he is and what he did. And entrusting ourselves to him in that. So here we want to see in these verses here what this tells us, what these verses we've read Tell us about believers in Jesus. If your faith is in him, all of these things that we're about to read here or about to say here are true of you. Believers in Jesus, first off, are a new creation. A new creation. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That two-word phrase there, in Christ, was one of Paul's favorite phrases in the scriptures. He often would use that to be in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. What does that mean? That means that you have now, through faith, that you have been intimately connected into a a vital union with him so that his life is your life. And can that union ever be broken? No. It's a union that can never be broken. Through faith in him, God the Father, he joins you by faith to him to this vital life of Christ. You are in Christ. You are in the realm of Christ. You have the benefit of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And so anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. What does it mean to be a new creation? That means that God has given you a new nature, a new capacity that you did not have before, a new life that you did not have before. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit regenerates or makes us alive. He takes, we are spiritually dead apart from Christ, but he regenerates and makes us alive in Christ. It's a new life given to us by the Holy Spirit. And with this new life, this new creation that you are, comes a new capacity, a new capacity to believe and obey God that you did not have before. You have a new capacity. You have new desires. You know, before we were in Christ, we did not have these holy, righteous desires to please God. But now in Christ, we have these new desires. We have new priorities. And we have a new destiny in Christ. Because you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The spiritually dead you was crucified with Christ. 
And now you are a new creation in Christ, a new life, new capacity, new desires, new priorities, a new destiny as you are vitally linked to Christ. The old has passed away, the new has come. And we experience it now in part. We experience that new creation in part right now. But later, we will experience it in its fullness. That's part of our hope. So believers in Jesus are a new creation. Believers in Jesus are reconciled to God. Tells us that Christ has reconciled us to God. What does it mean to be reconciled? Well, in the original language of the text there, that word literally means to exchange. That God in Christ has made an exchange for us on our behalf. What is that exchange? An exchange is what? Okay, I give you this and you give me that. We're exchanging something, right? We're changing it. Well, what was the exchange that takes place when we are reconciled, exchanged in Christ? Well, before we were enemies of God, but now we are friends of God. Remember Jesus said, I call you friends, I call you my friends. To be reconciled to God means to be exchanged from an enemy of God to a friend of God. So a reconciling is what? When we think of reconciling, we think of putting a relationship right, right? Well, then that's what it is. But the term has this idea of exchanging. That's putting that relationship right in that our relationship before was an enemy of God as rebellious sinners. But now we are friends of God through the righteousness of Christ. So you have been reconciled to God. You were an enemy, but now you are a friend of God. Your relationship with them has been put right. Exchanging that old for the new. And as believers in Jesus then, we have the ministry of reconciliation. Through faith, you have been reconciled, I have been reconciled, but now we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, which means what? It is our task that God has given us to proclaim the gospel, which, when believed, exchanges people from enemies of God to friends of God. That's the ministry of reconciliation, is proclaiming the message, the gospel, that reconciles people to God, that changes their relationship status. You know, I'm not, I know some of you are, we got some big fans here of like social media and like Facebook, and I know some of you younger folks are saying, Facebook, man, that is so, it's not even 90s, is it? What is it? That, that is so 2000s, right? Okay. By the way, we never did really figure out a convenient way of referring to the first decade of the, of the 2000s, did we? There's something, you know, because, and even the second, isn't it great we're in the 20s now? We can say, oh, the 20s, you know, the 2020s here now. What do you, what, it's awkward, though, when you're talking about, like, the first two decades of a century, what you call those things. We kind of cheat and say the teens for the second one, 
But 11 and 12 aren't teen numbers, are they? But we just kind of fill in because it's awkward. It's awkward, folks, right? So I know Facebook now has become, that's like old people book, I I know, for some of us here. But I think uh, on that, there's something there's called, correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't there something called your status or something on there? Or am I confusing that with some of I'm showing you how how ignorant I am of this stuff here, right? You know? So, but anyway, what's your status? You know, what's your relationship status or what have you? Well, we all have a status with God. We're born with a status before him, which is as we're born in sin, we're sinful people, and that makes us enemies of God, and God wants to change our status with him through Christ. Change our status from enemy to friend. And so we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, of status changing by proclaiming the gospel. We're told in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That is, he was not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. And we have been entrusted then with the message of reconciliation. God has entrusted you and me with this good news to share with others that they might be reconciled to God. So we have been given this ministry, and that's why he says, well, we implore you, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled. As a result, then, what we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does an ambassador do? Like if, let's say you are, let's say you were called to be the ambassador to, what country would you want to go and live in and be an ambassador in that country? Scotland, I thought I heard. Ireland? Ireland? Hawaii. Hawaii. That one doesn't work, Jerry. (laughs) So, no. Although, if some Hawaiians had their way, you might be an ambassador to Hawaii, the independent republic of Hawaii someday, right? But no, Hawaii is a state. You don't have ambassadors to states. So some would say, oh, I want to be ambassador to France or something like that and wine and dine in Paris, right? Well, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents a government in another to, to... So you would be a representative of the American government to the government of France or Ireland or wherever you would be, right? Well... We are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Representing who's the king? Christ, right? What's his kingdom? The kingdom of heaven. We're representing Christ, the king, and the kingdom to the kingdom of this world. We're ambassadors for Christ. You are a representative of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven to people in this world and this kingdom. You're an ambassador of the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. Entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation, the message of the gospel. And finally then, Believers in Jesus become the righteousness of God. There's that incredible truth. 
that he, that God made Christ the Son, he made him sin who knew no sin in order that we might in him become the righteousness of God. Jesus never sinned, but he took on the judgment for our sin. And in so doing then, it was that for forgiveness of our sin, but also then in so doing, through him, by faith, we become the righteousness of God. If you and I had to keep working at this Christ-likeness thing on our own strength, on our own power, how long do you think it would take you and me to become perfect like Christ? You'd never make it, would you? You'd never arrive. And that's why God has given it to us as a gift, as a reflection of his grace out of his love and grace and mercy and kindness. He made him sin, who knew no sin, in order that through him we might become the righteousness of God. There's another exchange there, right? He he takes our sin and he gives us what? His righteousness, his perfection. Like I had said a little bit earlier, boy, that absolute perfection. God is very stringent and strict about that. He requires absolute perfection. Why? Because if he didn't, <laughs> any, a new earth would very quickly resemble the old earth, wouldn't it? Do you want that? Do you want to live forever in that way? I don't. So if we could never become righteous, no matter how hard we tried and how long we worked at it, what was the only solution? To receive it as a gift. So you are right now, you have this gift of perfect righteousness in Christ. You do not experience it fully right now. You're growing in it day by day as you walk with Christ by faith. But one day you will know it in its fullness. When, when we die and go into his presence, we're perfectly righteous in him. Say, why do we as believers, why do we die? Well, you know what? For the believer, and I'm not, it's painful for us to say goodbye to our loved ones, isn't it? But it's the, but for those who are in Christ, it's the best thing that could happen to them, isn't it? Is to leave this mortal body behind and go into the presence of God, made perfectly righteous in Him, awaiting then the resurrection of the body. We will not be disembodied spirits forever, but rather our bodies will be raised and we will live and rule and reign with Christ, glorified physical bodies on a glorified physical earth. Imputed righteousness was what the theologians call this. 
It means it's something that's credited to us or given to us. You have it now by faith, but you will experience it fully later in his presence. Said we said goodbye to our sister Cindy. (laughs) She is perfect in his presence now. So what should we do with this? I want to remind us the key thought here that Jesus bore our sin in order that we might become perfectly righteous in him. So first off, I would say, give thanks. Give thanks for your new life and your righteousness in Christ. I know it's easy to get overwhelmed sometimes by the troubles and hardships of this life, but I think the best antidote to that is to meditate on the word of God and the hope that we have in Christ. That which yet awaits us in Christ and give thanks and praise to him for that. Also what we are ambassadors. We've been entrusted with a precious message. Faithfully, faithfully share that message. And how do we share that message? Certainly with the words of our, of our lips. But how else do we share? It's not just what we say. It's living it out, isn't it? It's the testimony of our lives. Faithfully share the gospel message. And finally then, walk in righteousness. Walk worthy of the righteousness that you've been given in Christ. Which means, doesn't mean, okay, since you've been made perfect in Christ, be perfect right now. Doesn't work that way, does it? But what does it mean? By the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, walk in that power to be made increasingly more like Christ now. Walking in righteousness because he is worthy of that. He is worthy. And no, you're not going to arrive this side of heaven, but keep walking. Keep walking. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves and that we would be spared what we could do for ourselves so that we wouldn't have to. You did for us what we could never do for ourselves, Lord. You, you lived a life of perfect obedience. And you give us that gift of perfect obedience and righteousness to us by faith. And through Christ, then, we are spared. You did for us what we can do for ourselves, which is to be judged for our sin. You did that for us so that we wouldn't have to be. We thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for our hope in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that that you sent your Son, that you made him to be sin, who knew no sin, knew no sin, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Father, may we give you thanks and praise today. May we faithfully share that message of hope and reconciliation with others. 
And may we walk in righteousness and newness of life each day, trusting in you, trusting in your Holy Spirit's power. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.